Welcome to In the Deep. The following is a recording of a Dharma Dialogue session in Malibu, California in about 2001, and it was remastered from a previous media recording. It's called, Who Are You? I'd like to also remind our listeners in Victoria, Australia, that we're beginning Dharma Dialogue sessions two Sundays a month, starting in February on the Mornington Peninsula. There's a New Yorker cartoon in which a guy's standing in his office on the telephone and he's saying, you'll have to excuse me, I'm myself today. (laughs) (laughs) So we all know what that means. When we're in our neurotic mind, what's happening? What is that myself that he's referring to? Usually it is the well-practiced history that we tell ourselves about who we are, whether it's a miserable history or a neutral history or a happy one. It's all in the past. Most of our stories about ourselves are in the past. So I ask you, who are you right now? Who are you right now? Feel it. Feel into yourself. Releasing any old, familiar, well-worn story as it arises. And feel the freshness of being. Feel the mystery that you are. Feel the mystery of what life is. You don't have to clutch to the known. A lot of the practice of story is a way to get a handle on it, clutching to the known. To many people, it's very disconcerting to suddenly feel you don't know who you are. You're just here. But what if you became used to that? Not in a psychotic way, of course, but used to this feeling of freshness, this mysterious sense of being, without telling a story of who you are. So here, for this couple of hours, get used to that. Be a surprise to yourself. Hi. Hi. Uh, how to put this question? It seems that this this presence that you're talking about, this being, yes, 
has always once recognized has always been there. Yes, definitely. Always. Yes, very good. And the bliss of sadness, everything comes in and out of it. Yes. And there's, there's no in and out. We, yes. you know, we say we fall in. But where I'm stuck, where I where the stuckness is, is is this the ground that you're talking about? Is this this is this it doesn't seem relative. So it doesn't anything. seem right, yes. <laughs> but but it doesn't to, to me it doesn't seem absolute. Well that's you don't even have question. to have these concepts. It just is what it is. There's part of my brain that still says questioning that this is great, wonderful, but supposing that it's just I don't know much about the brain, but supposing it's just part of it. The hemisphere, right hemisphere, or say that's quiet, and and telling the other side that this is the way to live. Suppose it's just a brain, which is which is which is temporary. So, is your question having to do with wanting to find some condition which is that survives the brain? Again, uh, again, you, you could probably blow this apart. But I've read that that everything but this. It, to, and everything that is temporary. But is it, isn't it possible? Isn't it possible that we can tune into the the presence, the universal presence, of which we are clearly a part, even if we're using our brain as a tool in part to tune into that, we can we can sense it. I like to say. It's a way of feeling eternity for a very short time. You understand? The duration of this life, you can feel eternity, but only for a short time. But this feeling is, is if it is a feeling, this shapeless color, this, this, yeah, yes. it still feels temporary. If it, it's still... You're temporary, mm. yeah. <laughs> and your brain is temporary. Mm. But there is something of which we have sprung. That's the. That's my question. Is, how, how deep can you take this? This feeling of being is it? Is it just that? My sense is that what you tune into is the ultimate beingness. But the temporal you, there's certainly no guarantee that that's going to hang around, clearly. <laughs> but no matter, because what your awareness is, is living with, its soulmate, let's say, is this mysterious source or force or whatever you want to call it. We don't have to name it. Some people call it God. If that's too personal, if that has, is too loaded, forget that word. But, I mean, finally you have to drop into silence because you can't name this, and it's too much, too big. But you can feel it because you are part of it. You can feel the radiance of it. And not to get caught in who's, who's aware of this. That's right, exactly. This, one, this was big yes. Yes, that's a very good point. Yeah. Not to get caught in who's aware of it. It's just an awareness streaming along. 
I was and, so and stuck on that. It's understandable because it's kind of the last stronghold of a me. It's like, right. don't I at least get to witness this? Right. Who's the witness? <laughs> Who's the witness? Yes. But you finally realize it's an impersonal witnessing. Indeed. And that's very liberating. It's very light. You know, it's very easy. And like you said then, bliss and sadness and difficulty and irritation and everything comes and goes in it. But as your attention saturates with beingness, as that becomes its home base, its, its default, then all of that coming and going is not a big deal. Just little flickers on the screen. We're happy they're there. It makes it a little more interesting. Because as you say, there's not much to it. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I'm confused about is that why has, and I've said this before, why do people talk about getting glimpses when it's, it cannot be missed? (laughs) So that confuses you. So I think, well, how can this, how can this simple being be it? When people talk about glimpses and meditating for 20 years and getting a glimpse. Yeah. I know. I I still question it because how can it be that simple? Well, its very simplicity is what obscures it to most people. My teacher used to always say, and I have found it to be 1,000% true, that when you really get this, you'll laugh because it was so obvious and so always there, as you point out, hidden in plain sight. And you realize in the understanding of that that you could never have stepped out of it, no matter what you thought you were doing or how many scriptures you were studying or what you were chasing all your life. The Sufis say there are three stages to the journey. The journey from God, the journey to God, and the journey in God. So the journey from God could be thought of as when you're out chasing everything out there. You're trying to find something out there, an object, an experience, a person. You're just trying to collect. So you're actually running out. The journey to God is when you think now you're on a a spiritual path. You decide to turn inward and you say to yourself, how can I find God? And the journey in God, which I would add, all three stages of the journey are actually taking place in God. That's when you're just living in this understanding, in this realization. It always took place in God all along. You look back and you see all your chasing and running around and seeking. You were never lost. (laughs) You just thought you were lost. My teacher used to say, it's like standing on your front yard and saying, where's my house? (laughs) Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Hi, Catherine. Hi. We met up here about a year ago. Okay. So just kind of a um, personal question in a way. Mm-hmm. 
So standing in the presence, maybe before you come, become habituated to it, but knowing what it feels like, it seems mm-hmm. to me like the heart becomes like a living organ. Uh-huh. And I was wondering just when you get habituated, I have two questions for you. One is when you enter that habit of standing in the presence of the eternal you know, I, I feel it in the heart. Like it's very, it's like, how does it feel when you enter the habit? Is what I'm asking. Well, it does. You. It's if you're asking about the the capacity for love. No, I'm asking about uh, the physical sensation of being present in the now how that manifests for you, for example, just so I can hear what it might be like for someone else. Well, I mean, again, I think with each of us, it's a very unique experience. Very, very unique. How I might describe it does not necessarily have to jive with anyone else's experience. For me, there's a feeling of lightness. There's a feeling of lightness. I can only know this by comparison to how it used to feel. And there was in my life, much of my life, the journey from God and the journey to God phase of my life, a feeling of heaviness. And there were even times when it felt like I was, I was walking through quicksand, a, a, a weightiness. So now there is a feeling of it's just lighter, physically. Thanks. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that it's located in the body, and I'm just wondering what other experiences are. The other question is just comments or, or thoughts on the role of goals and manifesting when you're in that ongoing state. Do they change every moment, but you still want to make... Goals, just some commentary. The motivation changes a lot. The motivation shifts from, you know, when you're, let's just say, to, to use shorthand, when you're ego-driven, when, you're, when your interest is to build up the me, what I call the me project. It's like a big project you have to build up me. And we gussy it up with all kinds of laudable things, like, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to work for this great service organization, or I'm going to become a rock star, whatever it happens to be in your me project. While you're engaged in that, your, your motivation, of course, is to serve yourself. And in this, in this seeing, in this awareness, first of all, a lot of contentment comes. You're just more at peace with things. You're just more at peace with everything. You feel quite happy to be, and you count your blessings a lot. That's just, you just see all of this in clear, sharp intelligence because it's just what's so. I mean, it's the obvious, and it gets more and more obvious. It gets so obvious that, you know, you, you have the impulse sometimes to fall on your knees and just say thank you to the mysterious God knows what. So with this level of contentment, motivation for this building up of that me project is irrelevant. But you look around and you, you, know, you see presented before you all kinds of situations 
which you might be helpful in. And that's what moves you. You move sheerly out of love. <laughs> Not love of me, <laughs> but love, pure love. You, you move out of love for whatever is around. You, you just can't help but serve it. And then it's a mystery as to how you will be used to do that. You're constantly watching the mystery yourself. And you don't necessarily have to have big grand plans, although you might. You might have. You might. Your particular destiny, your particular creative expression might be that you have some master plan of, you know, saving a rainforest or saving a culture or whatever it happens to be, some large-scale project that you are like the perfect person to coordinate that project. You, you, you find yourself in service to that each step of the way in wakeful presence. And of course, some things will happen that you planned and other things won't. Or your life expression might be something much more simple, much more uh, on the ground, you could say, one-on-one. I just was writing yesterday in this book that I'm writing about a toll taker in the San Francisco Bay Area who, this is many years ago, it was in a phase of my life when I would drive from Marin County to into the city every afternoon. And every afternoon there was this toll taker, this old black man who I decided was awake because he was always happy. He was always smiling. He, was, he always had a kind word. And I started noticing that if there were children in a car ahead, he was handing something into the car. It took me a while to realize that was happening, but finally one day I asked him what it was. And he had a big bag of Tootsie Rolls. And he was, he was handing Tootsie Rolls to kids because he told me a lot of these kids are on long road trips. So here's this toll taker. And, and I must say, I mean, that's a hard job, frankly. You know, it's not an enviable job. And, you know, some days it was cold and windy and there's a ton of traffic and it's kind of polluted and fumey. And, but he was always the same. And I thought about, I did a kind of mental calculation once while sitting on the bridge in traffic and thinking about him, and I would often try to get in his lane to go through. And I thought about, like, if he was only affecting just a fraction of people with his happiness and his sweetness, he was affecting a lot of people each day, a tremendous number of people. You know, so there's this this contagion of joy that's possible. Another aspect about this while we're on the subject is that I feel that the greatest service you can offer anyone is your joy. That whatever you do, whatever your actual activity is, to be doing it with happiness and love and joy is really the best. There's a lot of do-gooders And bless their hearts, I'm glad they're out there saving the forest and doing whatever they have to do. But there's a lot of people who are trudging on like good soldiers with dampened spirits. And it's not that inspiring and it's often difficult to be around. (laughs) Kind of righteousness and the way that the ego can co-op the best of works. (laughs) But when you're doing it out of real service, out of love, that's very different.
that feels different. And then whatever you're doing, however simple, however you may not be changing history or the world, but it doesn't matter. Thank you. <laughs> well, hello. Hello. <laughs> Everyone in Portland says so hello. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> um, back to what you started with at the beginning. Over the past year and a half or so, sometimes life just does this for you. And the whole question of who am I, it's like gone. Yeah. And instead of all of the fear and panic I always thought of, it's such a relief. Oh, definitely. Like there's nothing to live up to. Yes, to right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that taskmaster who used to be hanging around <laughs> is gone. Really? <laughs> you, know, and, you know, sort of age does part of that. I mean, the aches and pains are there. So one has to sort of come to terms with those things. Yeah. But but still, that isn't the only thing that does it. Somehow it just went. Yeah. And it's such a relief. Yes. Oh, what a relief. Really? Yes. And That's the other it. thing that recently I was I always have a way of saying the thing that was just on my mind the day before was realizing that even framing a question involves a story. Yes. So, you know, that sort of leaves one with... In silence. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> but I do have a question, such as I recall you saying quite a while ago when it came up that at some point one has to tell the story in a sense when something has just happened. There's, there's a point at which maybe either when you're younger or maybe when something has happened. And I guess my question is how one deals with that without not thinking that's okay, whatever. I don't really know how to even frame this. but There's a possibility of yeah. this lightness in this awareness that even can have a relationship with the story, but it's a light one. Yeah. So there are circumstances in one's life where something happens and the story starts arising, or something big and, and sad happens. And the story is arising. Mm -hmm. It's also possible for something big and sad to happen and there be not much story at all. But in any case, if story is arising in awakened awareness, it's light. And you know that it's going to go on its own. And you don't have much investment in it. And you don't plan a big movie around it. So I suppose... For example, when one is young and these stories are, are, yes. are very fresh, then they're, in a sense they have to arise before you can let go of them. Yeah, I mean, they, they go on their own. But yeah. there is something, you know, about youth and, the, and in a kind of appropriate, you know, trying on your ego, essentially. Yeah. And it's appropriate at certain phases of life to, like the old cliche, you have to be somebody before you're nobody. Yeah. That it's, it's fine to you know, test all of those, those things as you're going through your development. But there comes a point when it's truly contraindicated. Yeah. And where you see people telling their stories and it's sad. It's really sad telling the same old story decade after decade, uh, you know. And well, don't, you know, you get bored with it yourself. Oh, yeah, so, exactly. You know, well, that's, that's everyone who has to listen to it. Exactly. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, too, what I've noticed is, I mean, the entire culture, everyone encourages you to keep the story going. So it's like... Mostly that's what people are talking about. You know, yeah. you've, you've heard me say, I don't, I don't like to go to parties for that reason. 
is because there's this, this usually, not always, a presentation of just the story level of who we are. Yeah. And, the, and then the story level has all this uh, tag onto it, which has to do with status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's who I am, and here's how cool I am, and here's all the things I've done, and here's my latest whatever, <laughs> and my slides from Machu Picchu, or, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my latest film project, <laughs> and so on. That's who I am. Who are you? Yeah. You know, and you, you sort of just don't say, well, I'm a radiant, shining presence. <laughs> Usually if you try something like that, they look at you in a really weird way. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't usually go to parties. <laughs> but Just actually things that happen. Like I, I crashed into someone's car the other day. and There was a body shop right across the street. And so three guys come out, you know, they're standing there waiting for the, you know, thousands of dollars. Anyway, all day long, people said, oh, God, you must have been horribly upset. I wasn't. You know, I'd rather not spend the $500 for my deductible, but, you know, well, it happened. That was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, well, why aren't you upset? You know, like you, it's sort of. Yeah. Yeah. No, it gets lighter and lighter, just like that. It does. And you just kind of cruise along. And, and it's not to say, and I don't mean to imply at all, that difficult things don't arise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly in grief is welcome, as right. you so well know. Yeah. And yet it arises in this, in this freshness. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not sticky. Nothing is sticky. It's not heavy. It's not horrible. Yeah, mm-hmm. and what you were saying before too, even about physical pain, you know, is and when my husband was dying, he a couple of days before I went, he said, "I'm ready to die. I can't stand the pain anymore." And I was saying, "No, no, you can't die." Right. You know, and he went ahead and did it. Yeah. <laughs> and he was. Thank ready. goodness. That yes, yes, you know, yes, and, yes. This body can yeah. become a torture chamber, right. and we would not want our loved ones or ourselves. Right. To have to spend an extra minute in to- being tortured, if if that is not to be, right. yeah. And the the other the one last little thing I have to say here is what I profoundly feel on every level now is that the whole ball game is just surrendering to what what is. <laughs> That's it. Yes, indeed. You know, and, it doesn't, and it doesn't mean not picking up and trying to change a bad circumstance, but right? It's the, right. This is it. So you know, beautiful. Maybe there's something I can do and. If not, whatever. But, Be- beautifully but, said. And yet, in that state of mind, there always is something you could do. That's the thing, you know, in a way. Even if it's just beaming at whoever's around you or yeah. the person sitting next to you in traffic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it happens in this awareness that when you're with people who are more unhappy, you shine the light a bit lighter. You shine it a little bit brighter. You just do. Again, it's a contagion of joy. You let that be. You let it exude a little bit more as needed. Hi. Hi. Um, I was wondering if you could comment on which, uh, what for me is the most difficult story to let go. Is uh, I guess the only way to describe it is the day job versus music, you know, and like day job versus your dream and being stuck somewhere where you really feel just com- completely frustrated. That for me is the most difficult 
So you're in a job that you're frustrated in or... Right. Yeah. And you feel like you're not doing your real creative exactly. thing. Well, you're young. <laughs> and usually that's what happens. We, have, we pay our dues in all kinds of ways like that. And, you know, if you have a clear intention, somehow your destiny will find you. So not to, you know, not to chomp at the bit too much if you are in a situation that you have to be in for the moment. But when, if you have a real pull, you know, you're being pulled by this creative force, it will find a way to express itself. I feel I was, it wasn't until I was 40 that I was actually doing the work that I felt was the true love affair, the work that called me from love, like I was saying. Everything up to that was kind of paying the dues. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, well, I was going to go see you in Portland. I met up in band and I, on the website, got your, your thing. I just, today, I looked at it and I was over in the desert for the last month and I just pulled it, it was on the front seat and I said, oh, she's here. And I felt this propelling kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And um, as I was driving down PCH, and I felt this many times before, that when I start to describe it, it's not really, it's words right now, just don't, it's, uh, it wasn't me driving, but, but when I say that, that isn't really it either. It, it was almost as if I never was driving <laughs> the car. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it just started making me think about everything else in my life. Was yeah. I ever really doing any of that stuff? Yes, good. That I put so much importance on. Yeah. And it's so lightning. It is. Definitely. You're off the hook. <laughs> yeah. And then there's, a, there's another part, there's a, kind of a little fear that comes up that to hang on to that because you don't want to lose it. You know, it's the mind coming in. Yeah. Is that normal? It is normal. And you have to allow the discerning awareness to see through that. Because what's happened is the discerning awareness has seen clearly what you're describing, that there was no doer, there was no controller all along. There was just a, 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 an impersonal flow of phenomena that you called you. And it's very liberating. And like I said, it doesn't... People misunderstand this and think that it leaves you some sort of vegetable or an apathetic character who's going to go be in a monastery or something, but... Actually, it leaves you in a kind of electrified brightness of being. You know, so many people have the experience, this. I spoke about this last week, that when, when you're doing, you know, when you're lost, so-called lost in the thing you love, like you're lost in your art or you're lost in your tennis game or making love or whatever it happens to be, you say that you're lost, but actually that's not quite right. 
The presence is stronger than ever. You're found, really. So this is another way of being found. But it's not you that was found. It's not that old collection of stories that you used to call you. So, I mean, I've done all these things for 27 years, and, and it was all about a particular thing to do. Yes. It was all about doing something. Yes. And move it around a little bit this way or do that or no, that's the right way yeah. or whatever. And uh, this sense is much more about a dropping away, much more of the clouds. The sun was always shining, and the clouds were kind of just falling away. That's beautiful, and yes. I felt that when I came in the room here and looked in your eyes. This is a falling away or a releasing. It's not an adding on at all. It's not a building up of anything. It's it's the it's the supreme relaxation. Like who we always were. Yes. Yes. Who we are. Really stripped down of artifice and pretense and having to present somebody out there. This won't come out right either, but is it, is it, <laughs> you go away from something like this and you, and, and you feel, sometimes I feel the energy just sort of draining out as you get back up on the freeway. And I guess my question is nonsensical because there is nothing to do, but is there anything you could add or you could say with regard to our day jobs? I mean, as to tomorrow, whatever we're doing. What I always say to this question, which comes up astonishingly frequently, (laughs) is that you just allow the love of this. That's all. You you allow the love of of just presence, of simple presence, of the nakedness of being. And that calls it to itself. That's all. You don't have to cultivate something. You don't have to learn anything. You just recognize in this immediacy that that feels good. It feels right. It feels true. And that recognition is is very powerful, more powerful than one might suspect, since it just seems like it's just a simple observation. But then you might be lost in thought about something else and contracted and so on. And that very contraction can serve as the reminder. You start to feel, oh, what's wrong? It's like, why is this tension here? And you realize you're lost in a whole train of scary thoughts, either about the past or about the future. You realize in that instant, and suddenly your beloved, your, your awareness that is free and clear and open and naked and authentic. It feels like a gift that just yes. keeps giving. Yes, yes, it does. Thing. Yes, indeed. And when the, when the ego jumps in there and does one of those things, sometimes it's helpful for me to acknowledge that that also is a gift. Sure. Yes, I have, a, I have actually a tape called Contraction as a Wake-Up Call whereby it's actually the wake-up call, it's the bell, it's the wake-up bell, the contraction itself, the dip into neurosis, the old depressing story or the old future story. And the future story, by the way, has a tremendous tension about it, in the same way that living in a kind of hope has a tension, because you might not get what you want. 
So when you're living in future, it's usually about hope. And there's an underlying discomfort, even though the picture might be very lovely, the hope might be very nice as a vision. For any intelligent mind, the possibility that it's not going to come to be is residing along with the vision. So better to be happy and content with what is right now and enjoy, enjoy your life. You know, you mentioned this um, falling back off and so on. And for some reason this story comes to mind. At one of our retreats, probably some of you were at that retreat um, a few years ago, a guy arrived, I'd never seen him before, he'd never done any Dharma dialogues or retreat with me, and I could tell he was, he was beleaguered. And on about the second day, I called on him and asked him just to tell me a little bit about, about himself. And it turned out that his girlfriend had just been murdered by her ex-husband. And in this terrible state of depression and shock and anger and every negative mind emotion anyone would feel, and understandably so, his friend suggested he come to this retreat. He lived in Colorado, and he came up to Oregon, to Brighton Bush. What was astonishing was that day by day, just through the power of the osmosis of the retreat and of people's incredible awareness that gets very strong in retreat, he brightened and brightened and brightened. And I would sometimes see him kind of laughing uproariously in in Dharma dialogues, along with everyone else, heartily laughing. Now, when he went back, of course, all the old history was there, but it was a very fresh wound. And of course, the sadness overcame him again. But he said that because of such a sort of saturation in that kind of awareness, he knew through it all, he knew this this safe port. He knew that that was shining. The sun was there, though the clouds were obscuring it. He knew that it was there. So when you really know this very deeply, even when the clouds come, it doesn't matter. On a cloudy day, you know the sun is shining somewhere in the sky. You may not be able to see it. It may be pouring rain, as you no doubt know from living in Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, you know, you 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 never have the, you're never under the mistaken impression that the sun is not there just because you can't see it. It seems like a lot of times we have to have our back to the wall in life before we get there. Because we don't really want to, I lost my wife cancer and I it wasn't until I tried everything I could possibly do and went out to the beach and cried and said help me I don't I try I've done everything and something happened there and I realized there was nothing to do yes yes and it was a tremendously lightning load Um, but had I not been put in that I probably oh who knows Hi, Catherine. I actually met you a few years ago in New York City. Oh, wonderful. Are you here visiting? I sort of kind of work out here and I go back and forth. I mean, I still live in Connecticut, but I'm out here a lot now. Okay. 
I had a question about whether, in your experience, there's ever kind of a purpose to the withdrawal of the beloved. It's a presence that used to be very accessible to me. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, a, there, there's a silence that I'm just not accustomed to. Now? Mm-hmm. Which I'm accepting because that's what is, but I just wondered if you could speak about that in any way. So when you say it was, it's withdrawing and yet there's this silence, what do you mean? It's like continuing to know that the presence is there, mm-hmm. but the experience of it is very dimmed, which feels very painful because it just used to be so much brighter. And I mean, I feel as though there's some honoring of this that that is important for me to do. So I'm not trying to run away from that. Um, but I just just wondered if there was anything that you could say about it. <laughs> yeah. What we're speaking about is so fundamental as our as our true experience of life, this simple presence. And then as you, as you steepen that, it normalizes. The feeling about it normalizes. So it becomes, in a way, ordinary. And it, it only sort of dazzles when you compare it to what it used to be like to be in neurosis most of the time. And there is this phase when you go from being in neurosis most of the time into this more and more stabilization in in presence. It's very thrilling. It's very, very exhilarating and fantastic. There's an excitement to it. But as it normalizes, it becomes just how it is. And your taste becomes more refined. You become more appreciative of very small things. Is that happening? That's a good thing. You become very attuned to subtlety. Are you an artist? I'm a writer. A writer, uh huh? So you must know that the deeper you go in the well, the more you can just you can describe the turning of a door handle in such a way that it, it evokes profundity. And that becomes more the experience as you, as you acclimate to this. It normalizes and your taste intensifies and you're able to, you just appreciate the simple things of life, you know, the little ordinary nothing things. You're not looking for big spiritual experiences, big blasts. Those come unbidden. They come now and again and will surprise you. But you're not looking for them. And when they come, they come as a gift, and you don't hold on in any way. And you don't collect it. You know, you don't notch it onto your belt of great spiritual experiences. (laughs) 
you don't even remember it, frankly. <laughs> you know, you experience it in the moment and you don't really remember it. And you don't need to tell anyone about it. But mostly what you're experiencing is the day-to-day, the details of the day-to-day and the sweetnesses you have with your loved ones. And the way that you can just look into people's eyes in innocence and see innocence. Those become your treasures. Those become the things you, you acknowledge in gratitude. The, the desire for it to be intense or more dramatic or more spiritually exalted, all of this is born of some confusion. It's actually born of a subtle layer of I. But without that, then it's just the simplicity of sitting, seeing, breathing, hearing, I find as this quieting goes on, I feel the world is overrich. Just as it is. Just I mean, if we just were to look around here tonight, it's so it's so much you can't even take it in. The sweet smell of the air and the stars and the the ocean glistening and all these beings, all these beautiful beings, each with you know, each is the universe. And you are a universe to, to yourself, a mystery, an incredibly beautiful, unfolding mystery. And you start to realize that each day is so precious. That's my most profound taste of recent time, is how precious time, <laughs> the time is. I can feel it. I can really feel it. And even if I have a so-called long life, which is no guarantee, but even if I were to, it's zooming. It's really zooming by. And so I'm aware just how, how extraordinary it is to just be having a so-called ordinary day. <laughs> because, as one of my friends says, you're going to be dead for a long time. <laughs> You know, so just having this experience again tomorrow, if that is to be. You see, it all switches into gratitude and appreciation, and, and there's no limit to that. There's no limit to it. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session and see the schedule of coming events. We are grateful for any donations to support this work, and you may also want to consider an end-of-the-year donation, particularly those of you in the USA, as your donation is tax-deductible. We're also grateful for reviews or for just sharing this podcast with your friends. Till next time.